We are for all you have done for us. You have been gracious, you have blessed us, and for that we are thankful. As we take these few moments to pause, Lord, in your word, we ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us by the Holy Spirit. May we hear your truth. May we be able to and willing to set aside all of the things that generate that we generate in our own hearts and to hear what you have to say. May we set aside subjective thought and hear the objective truth of the Scripture. Thank you for allowing us to be together today, Father, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I know I've been the one, I know a few other people have mentioned it, but I know I'm always talking about how many weeks it's been that we've had outdoor services on Sundays with no rain. Well, the official tally was 32. This was week 33, 20 last summer and fall, and then uh, 12 this year with absolutely no rain during our service. And uh, so it ended today, and I told somebody, I think God knew we needed the rain more than we needed one more sunny Sunday morning. Uh, so we're glad that you're still here. You know, uh, Gavin and I watch a show. I was telling Jesse about it a little bit earlier. We watch a show. It's called Meat Eater. This guy is a professional hunter, and he travels all over North America typically just in North America, hunting all different varieties of animals. And then at the end of the show, he shows you how to prepare it and eat it and all those things. Uh, but this guy is crazy. He'll strap a 40, 50-pound pack on his back, and he'll climb a mountain. He'll stalk a caribou for six or eight hours. Then he'll hunker down in the rain and the sleep for two hours before he takes a shot. Then he shoots the animal. Then he butchers it, and he packs it all out. And he calls it high-grade fun. It's fun that's painful, but it's fun. And so this is high-grade fun for us to be together here on Sunday morning in worship, even in the rain. Uh, but when I watch that show, I realize that there's something different about this guy. Now, you may watch it and say, yeah, there's something really different about this guy. But he has figured out a way to mentally prepare himself for the price that has to be paid for what he's about to do. Uh, one of the other shows that we like to watch, we watch it as a family, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, uh, but it's called Alone. Has anybody ever watched Alone? I think it's on Discovery. We see it on Discovery+. Plus. And what they do is they take 10 people, and they have volunteered for this, Take 10 people in a helicopter and they drop them out in the middle of the wilderness. I mean, not just like, you know, in the woods between here and Ben's house. I mean, miles from civilization, way out there, completely alone. They can bring 10 things, something like an axe, a knife, rope, a tarp, things like that, a fire starter, and a first aid kit, and a camera, and they drop them and say, last as long as you can. And of course, the last man standing or woman standing wins a monetary prize. We've watched several seasons of this, and I realize there's obviously 
physical suffering. You have to find food. They all lose weight. Some of them get pulled from the competition because they've lost so much weight, they're, they're literally starving to death. But I've realized that of the people who have won and of the people who have, who have stayed a long time and done really well, it's mental toughness as well as physical toughness. In fact, I would hazard a guess that, that their mental toughness is more important. They have this mindset, this is what we're going to do. And I think we can apply that directly to our lives spiritually. We need to have the proper mindset if we are going to survive, if we're going to survive this life. And that's the application we're going to make this morning. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians, book number 47 out of 66. And if you remember from last week, if you were here or if you listened to the message or watched it online, you know that in the book of 1 Corinthians, this was a very young church and they had all kinds of problems. They had just recently come to Christ and they were trying to walk with him on some level, but a lot of things had crept, crept in, a lot of sin. There were divisions. They were fighting amongst themselves. There were personality conflicts. There was immorality. They had gotten to the point, remember I mentioned last week, where some of them were suing each other because of disagreements that they were having. And so Paul addressed those head on. Remember, we talked about this last week, and he said, don't waste grace. God has given you this wonderful opportunity. He has given you this precious gift of salvation. Don't waste it. But live in light of what God has done for you. Well, they did. They responded. If you read the book of 2 Corinthians, if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians together, you will see that they are totally different books. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, you've got to live in the grace and strength that God has given you. You need to walk with him. Don't waste grace. And in 2 Corinthians, he commends them for their faith. Paul addressed these things. He rebuked them. He challenged them. And they responded to it. And we see here in the book of 2 Corinthians that Titus had gone over to Corinth to see how they were doing. And he came back to Paul and he said, Paul, they're doing well. They weren't perfect, but they were doing well. They were being obedient. They were living in light of what God had done for them. And so if you read the book of 2 Corinthians, you'll see they were obedient. And because they were obedient, their lives were fantastic. They all got better. And they all had all this blessing, right? No. That's not what happened. Their lives did not get easier because they had been obedient. In fact, their lives got more difficult. The Corinthians' lives were more difficult when Paul wrote this second time to them than they were when he had written the first time. We've spoken to you before a little bit about the counterintuitive nature of our life in Christ. What did Jesus say to the disciples? He said, if you guys want to be first, what do you do? Fight to get to the head of the line? No, you put yourselves last. You want to save your life? 
lose it. When people persecute you, love them. Treat your enemies well. And here in the case of the Corinthian believers, we have another one, another counterintuitive principle of life in Christ. And that is this, that often those who walk the closest with Christ experience suffering. Now this doesn't seem fair. It seems like if we are more obedient, then we should have a better life, right? We were joking about it before the service started. It's raining. All right, who screwed up? We've had 32 weeks in a row. Who messed up? The closer we are to the Lord and the more obedient that we are to him, the more we presume our human nature tells us we should experience the good things that God has to offer. But in fact, God calls the righteous to suffer. And so we must address this question this week. How do we survive suffering? How do we survive suffering? That's the question. The question is not how do we avoid suffering, but how do we survive it? Why is the question not how do we avoid? How many people would rather avoid suffering than survive it? You can be honest. <laughs> of course, we would rather avoid suffering. But we're not addressing that question because we know that we cannot avoid it. The scripture is very clear. John 16, Jesus is preparing the disciples just before he goes to the cross. And he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. In 1 Peter 4, Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that you experience. Later in that same chapter, Peter says he addresses those who suffer according to God's will. See, that's the problem, isn't it? We think if we're suffering, we mustn't be experiencing God's will. But Peter says we suffer according to God's will. So instead of how we avoid it, we're going to talk about how we survive it. And Paul tells these newly obedient Christians, these newly consistent believers, how to survive suffering. If we're going to do that, we must have the proper mindset. We must have a biblical perspective of four things. A biblical perspective of ourselves, of life, of God, and of the future. And that's what we're going to see. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have your Bible there, please turn with me to it. We're going to start reading in verse 7, and we're going to eventually make our way down through to the end of the chapter. So first of all, we need a biblical perspective of ourselves, and that's what we have in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. Here it is. You've heard this verse before, most likely. But we have this treasure in jars of to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This treasure. What treasure is Paul talking about? Well, if we were to back up to verse 6, Paul says, God has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the treasure is the gospel. 
That's a little bit about what we were talking about last week. The grace of God in our lives that is so valuable. Tom was talking about it a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. This wonderful gift that God has given us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The glory of God in Jesus Christ. Salvation. But notice the juxtaposition there of the terms. We have a treasure. And where do we have the treasure? In clay jars, in clay pots, literally earthenware vessels. I don't know what you think of, if you've ever seen this verse before. I always think of those kind of, you know, orangey, terracotta, cheap pots that you can get at Walmart. Nobody else thinks of that, I guess. I think about it. I know all of you in the cars are nodding your heads. These people in the tent are so cold they can't move. That's what I think of, these just cheap little things. I mean, if you were to drop it on the ground, at best it would crack, at worst it would shatter into a million pieces. So we have this treasure, Paul says, this, this intensely valuable thing that God has given us worth more than anything in the entire world, but we have it in these clay pots. What is a clay jar? How would we describe it? Well, we would describe it as something that is very humble, it's simple, it's utilitarian. That's a good description of us as human beings, right? Humble, simple, some of us are very simple. That's what Paul's talking about. But I want you to notice that he's not saying that to denigrate the vessel. He's not saying that to give us a complex about who we are and what we're worth. He's doing it to accentuate what the vessel contains. When Paul says we have a treasure in clay pots, he's not putting down the pot, he's raising up the treasure. He says we have it in jars of clay to show the power. The pot should get the attention, or should not get the attention, but what's in it should. If you go up to the greenhouse, you'll see in the spring, they get thousands and thousands and thousands of containers. Ben was just telling me this morning, this year they planted 30,000 hanging baskets. <laughs> That's only one thing that they plant. They get them by the thousands and they sell those hanging plants for $25 or $30. They get those pots. I don't know, Ben, should I tell them? They get those pots for pennies. <laughs> but they sell the whole thing for $25 or $30. Why is that? Well, the pot is worth nothing. It's holding the valuable part, right? And that's how Paul describes us, so that people can see the surpassing power of God. The word surpassing there, the Greek word, let me spell it for you, see if you recognize it. It's H-U-P-E-R-B-O-L-E. -E. We spell it with a Y. Hyperbole. That's the Greek word. The surpassing, the power of God that's so amazing we can't even describe it. It's far superior. And the word power is, is dunamis. It's the same word that Tom shared with us from Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God to those of us who believe. 
We have to have a biblical perspective of ourselves, my friends. We survive suffering, first of all, by being honest about the fact that we can't survive suffering. Have you ever been in the middle of something in your life and said something that sounded a little bit like this? I can't survive this. We can't. We like to think we're tough, we like to think we're strong, we like to think we're stubborn, but what does Paul tell us as he begins to unfold this for us? He says, let it go. You're weak. You're fragile. But God is powerful. And anything we survive, anything we push through, is because of God's power. In fact, and he's going to say this a little later in the book, our weakness highlights God's power. So a biblical perspective of ourselves. Secondly, he gives us a biblical perspective of life. Verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul gives us these four little couplets, these four little pairs of words, of adjectives, he says we're upset by life and the things that happen, but we're not crushed by it. We're confused, but not to the point of giving up. We're persecuted, but God has not abandoned us. We are knocked down, but not out. This is what life is like on earth. And it should not be surprising because this is what we are called to expect you know this. You've lived life. Think about those first four words, the first words in each of those pairs. Upset, confused, persecuted, knocked down. Some of you could say, yep, all that happened just this week. <laughs> I experienced all of that. Unfortunately, our world has adopted this victim mentality. This is too hard. This isn't fair. Or today's favorite buzzword, I'm oppressed. I don't know if you have ever heard of this term, if you've been paying attention to what's going on in our culture right now, you have intersectionality. How many people know what intersectionality means? Know what that means? That means that you have multiple reasons that you're oppressed. And they all combine so that you're extra oppressed. This is real, folks. This is how people are living out there. I'm oppressed. Now, there are many reasons why that is unfortunate. Most unfortunately, this has bled into the church. We love comfort. 
We love ease. Now, I'm like everybody else. I get up this morning and said, well, Lord, I had prayed that this would be number 33, but I guess it's going to rain today. I would rather it was 75 and sunny with a light breeze. But this really isn't suffering. We want our lives to be comfortable. Paul says, you've got to get a biblical perspective on life. Hey, Corinthians, your lives were a mess, and now you have cleaned them up, and now you are living by grace, and now you're walking in faith, and now you're trusting God. You're not wasting the opportunity. That's great, but you need to understand that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. The Christian life is not Disney World. It's not going to be buttercups and daisies. In fact, how does Paul describe it if you were paying attention as I read those verses for you a moment ago? Listen to what he says. Let me repeat three phrases that he uses in those verses. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always being given over to death. And then thirdly, so death is at work in us. Paul freely admits the pain of life. He freely admits the anxiety. Over in chapter 11, Paul says, Do you know how many sleepless nights I have endured? Do you know the anxiety that weighs on my soul because of what he has given me to do in these churches? Paul says it freely. This is my life. Paul knew his life wasn't about his own comfort and prosperity. It was about other people seeing Jesus in him and through him. His life was about others knowing the love of God, even if it meant his suffering or his death. And folks, we've got to decide, not only do we need a biblical perspective on ourselves, we're just jars of clay, but we need a biblical perspective on life. We've got to decide what our view of life is going to be. Am I here in this life? to make a living, to be prosperous, to give my family comfort and ease, to give my children, quote, the things I never had? Is that why we're here? Or are we here for some other reason? Are we here to glorify God? Are we here so that other people might know Christ? Now, there's nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, we're commanded to. There's nothing wrong with providing for your family. In fact, we're commanded to. There's nothing wrong with giving your children things. In fact, we're commanded to. But is that the reason you are here? Is that the purpose for your life? You've got to decide what your view of life is going to be. Well, next we see a biblical perspective of God in verse number 13. Let me read that for you. Since we have, Paul says, the same spirit of faith, 
according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, there's only one way to go back to our biblical perspective of life. There's only one way we can have that perspective, and that is because of what we believe about God. If I didn't believe what I do about God, I wouldn't believe what I do about life. I wouldn't live my life the way that I do if I didn't believe what I do about God, which is what? Paul says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. We know this. We know that God has the power to fix this clay pot someday. That's my biblical perspective of God, that he does love me. When we're suffering, we always wonder if God loves us. Does he love us? Does he even know I'm going through this? Does he understand what's happening? But the biblical perspective of God means I know he does love me. He will raise me. He will preserve me. He will protect me. We read verses like Philippians 4.19 that say, My God will supply all your need. And we believe that. But I've had people come to me and ask me after I've taught that verse to say, Well, what about... What about the believer in Africa that starves to death? God didn't supply all his needs, and I'm not the wisest person in the world, but this is where I've come to land on that, and that is God will supply everything that we need until we don't need it anymore. And then he will take us to be with him. See, a biblical perspective of God is not that your life will be smooth until you die, biblical perspective of God is that he will care for you and bring you through everything that he has laid out for your life until he is done with you on this earth. And he takes you to be with himself. Paul says, we know that. Paul's faith that that's who God was was so sure it became knowledge. That's real faith. Fifteen, we see what God cares about. Again, because a lot of times we think God doesn't care about me or, or he at least doesn't care about my comfort. What does God care about? Well, in a real sense, that's what this series has been about, the whole story. What does God care about? And we have said this dozens and dozens of times over the past year plus, and it is this. God has chosen to glorify himself and display his grace by redeeming people. God cares about his glory. God cares about showing his grace. 
and God cares about redeeming people. In a sense, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4 could have been our theme verse for this whole study. It is for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. God's desire is to use your life in whatever fashion it may unfold according to his will to show his grace and glory to others. Well, lastly, let's see a biblical perspective of the future. Maybe you're familiar with these verses as well. Verse 16 says, So, Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So all of these things inform Paul's continuing, his consistency. So we don't give up. And that's what I want you to take with you this morning. If you don't remember anything else that I say, take this with you. This is a chain that cannot be missing a link. You can't say, well, I've got a biblical perspective of myself and of life and of the future, but not of God. Or I've got a biblical perspective of life and God in the future, but not myself. You can't be missing any of these. You have to have all four of them. How could God let us suffer? How can he allow all of this pain in our lives? Well, Paul distinguishes between the outer self and the inner self. By the way, Paul was very qualified to talk about this. There's a couple of times in his letters that he details some of the things that he had to walk through. He was whipped multiple times. He was beaten with sticks multiple times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was abused in every way you can imagine. Imprisoned multiple times. And Paul distinguishes between the outer and the inner self. And the outer self, yes, we're dying. This body won't survive. But Paul says our inner self is being renewed. This is a process. It's a process. And all of this stuff, all of this pain, Paul says, that we're dealing with right now is preparing for us or preparing us for so much greater things. Verse 17 he says, this momentary affliction, this light, easy pain, it doesn't seem like it, but compared to what's coming, what's coming is beyond all comparison. The word beyond is the same word that he used in the first verse to describe God's power when he had said surpassing. Our English word beyond is the same word, hyperbole. It's very possible that right now in your life 
or in your family, you are walking through things that seem excruciating. I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know how we can survive it. Or you are anticipating that this will be the case very soon in your life. Paul says, what is to come is so far beyond all of that, you and I can't even imagine. God's surpassing power will work in us a great glory and reward. And it won't even begin to compare to what we have gone through here. You can survive suffering. You can. Paul did. You can. I can. But you have to ask yourself, how do you view yourself? Are you looking at your own resources to make it through? How do you view life? Are you the person who says, I deserve a comfortable life. I deserve this. How do you view God? Do you get angry at God? Think that he should be more concerned about your comfort? How do you view the future? Is what is happening today the most important thing in your life? And I know that most of you are saying, well, I, I would never say those things. I know that's not true. But how are you living because we cannot say those things but still think them in our hearts. We can still believe on some level, deep in our hearts, that if we are obedient, just somewhere down in there's an inkling, if I do the right thing, God will bless me. I want you to know that when you follow God closely, He does have the greatest blessing in store for you. But it may not occur in this life. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says this, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Paul had come to the point in his life where he, he not only believed these things that he was telling the Corinthians but he was living it, and he said, I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, bring it. Bring it on. Bring another weakness. Bring more pain. I don't care because the more pain I endure, the more suffering I face, the more the power of God is seen in my life, and that's why I'm here. And when it's over, I'm going to be with the Lord for eternity. That's how Paul lived. For the sake of Christ, in verse 10, he says, I am, listen to this, I, this, these words blow my mind every time I read it. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I'm content with that. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The grace of God was first made known to us in the person of Jesus Christ who took on suffering, who was content to suffer for your sake. 
And that's what we celebrate in communion. We're going to, we're going to have, take communion together this morning. I hope you got a, a little cup and wafer when you came in. The band is going to lead us in a song here in a moment. And I want to I encourage you this morning to just pause as they sing and think about what Christ has done for us. Think of the suffering that he endured for our sakes. If you need to, thank him for that. Ask forgiveness for your love of ease while I do the same. And ask God for the grace and the strength to endure what he puts in front of us for the sake of folks who have never heard the truth of the gospel. He went to the cross and died for you and for I. He raised the broken to life to heal these broken vessels. That's the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're going to pray together, and I'll invite you after we pray and as the band leads us, when you're ready to go ahead and eat the bread and drink the cup, and then you can join us as we close with our song. Father, we are so grateful this morning for your grace, your grace that gives us more than we deserve, everything that we do not deserve. Thank you, Father, for the challenge that we must set aside the things that we long for in order to be the people you have called us to be. We believe that your grace is sufficient. And I pray that you would walk with us through what is coming next in our lives, in our world, as a church, as individuals, as families. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation. And this morning as we give thanks by celebrating and taking communion together, we pray that you would be honored by that. Hear our thankfulness, Father, in our words and in our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Happy week. What's going to happen next month? What's going to happen 10 years from now? We have absolutely no idea. The only way to survive suffering is to realize that everything you can see is temporary and the things that you can't are eternal. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim that anything is coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed. It's not even worth our time, folks, to dwell on what's happening. It's what's coming next that's eternal. What's your mindset? Father, Thank you so much for your grace that not only saves us and changes us, but keeps us. Your grace alone allows us to endure, to survive. Father, it is very possible this week that some of us that are standing here may wonder if we will survive. 
Cause us to cast ourselves on you. Cause us to remember the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming. We pray that your unbelievable, surpassing, superior power would shine through the cracks in us this week. Change hearts and lives for your glory, Father. This is what you care about. Use us to do it. In Christ's name. Thanks for coming, folks. Have a great week.